right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can open those to Daniel chapter 6. That's a verse we're going to read out of in a bit together. Um, before, I do have a quick announcement. Uh, so some of you know, I just finished my first book and got it back. <laughs> It always blesses me when you're excited. I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, we, uh, bec- it, um, people have been asking, when is this going to be released? Um, it, in that, it will either be two weeks from today or three weeks from today at the church. Uh, the Lord uh, really put it on my heart that I, I felt uh, a, a, like a responsibility, like I needed to write this um, really for our community and with our community in mind. And so um, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about it, but it is coming soon. Uh, so we'll have a final date. We're waiting. There's a few kind of details that have to come together, but uh, it, they're on their way, and uh, I'm excited for uh, to get to give them to you. Um, it was a labor of love, and uh, I've gotten a lot of encouragement. I hope you guys are just as encouraging after you read the book. But, uh, you know, we'll see about that. So uh, that's that. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we will jump right back into what we have been uh, going after here the last few weeks. So, uh, Jesus, we thank you uh, that you are molding and shaping us into the ministers of the gospel that you created us to be. God, you're molding us into the fine-tuned instruments that can effectively preach the message of your kingdom to this culture, God, in this context, in such a time as this. And I thank you for the journey that you are taking us on as a community, God, forming us into uh, to be so potent in your hands as you use us uh, throughout the different contours of the culture uh, that you have called us to serve, God. So we love you, Jesus. We ask that your wisdom will exude tonight and that you will stir us and shape us even more perfectly into your precious image tonight, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to continue. I think this is the third week now on what I have uh, dubbed to walk amongst the gods. And that is a kind of a my way of saying, uh, how do we engage culture? How do we engage a culture that uh, does not necessarily worship uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and obviously Jesus, um, but is full of idolatry? And we have been looking at the life of Daniel uh, as a uh, a prototype or a a context that relates to a modern-day uh, post-Christian America where Daniel was living amongst a culture that was not hungry for the bread of life. They did not want his God. They did not care about the God of Israel. They were a conquered, exiled people. And in many ways, the Church of America is now an exiled church. We're a post-Christian nation, and the numbers are getting uh, worse all the time. But we've lost influence culturally. And so... Um, looking at aspects of how Daniel engaged with culture to bring the influence of the kingdom uh, so that we can model ourselves in some ways after his leadership. So um, that's been kind of the journey that we've been on, and I'm just going to continue that tonight. And I specifically uh, am going to talk about the role that discipline and integrity play in being effective influencers of uh, culture. And uh, so Romans 8, uh, it talks, you know, it's a famous verse talking um, in Romans 8, talking about uh, all creation is groaning for the revelation of the uh, God. 
And the reason all creation is groaning is because uh, when the sons and daughters of God, knowing who they are uh, in Christ, they, we will begin influencing the world with the message of the kingdom, right? We'll begin leavening the world, bringing the influence of righteousness to all the different aspects of this planet, of the culture that we live in, right? Um, and, and we are sojourning towards a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. So God has his own city. And city has a government and arts and entertainment and politics and, you know, uh, education and family. Like, it's a city. So God has a way of, of living as a city, as a people, right, as a, as a culture. And we are wanting to influence, as Christians, we're wanting to influence all the different spheres of culture with the message of the kingdom. Right? We're not, as the church, on this mandate, this triumphalistic mandate to take over the different aspects of culture. We're simply trying to influence it with the message of the kingdom, bringing people into relationship with God so they're coming under his authority, so that his authority begins to be expressed in all the different realms of uh, you know, human culture. Does this make sense? Right? So we've been talking about this. I'm just trying to build a, a common ground as we start moving. Um, so our goal then is to influence people with the message of the kingdom, to bring them into connection, into relationship, into some sort of an encounter with Jesus, right? With the goodness of God. So influence. So I want to spend a little time defining on what is the type of influence that we want to have. So I, I want you to spend like five seconds. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to spend like five, ten seconds just pondering uh, the answer to this question. And the question is this. Who is the most influential person in your life? If you had to pick one, I just want you to just ponder that for a bit. Hopefully, uh, someone comes to mind. You don't need to overthink this. Not a trick question. You don't have to share with anyone. Uh, but my guess here is that not many of you, when you're pondering who the most influential person in your life is, will land on a, some type of a celebrity figure. Right? And this is actually interesting because culture tells us that the most influential people are celebrities. Right and kind of across the, it could be like uh, you know, a actor or an artist or a music person or a politician, you know, or businessman, whatever it is. But we we've said, you know, Instagram tells us that once you have enough followers, you get a little blue dot star that says you're what an influencer. Right? The influencers, you get the you get like you get the big platforms, and these are the people that have the most influence. Right? But my guess is that most of you did not land on some sort of celebrity. Like Stephen Curry influences the way I play basketball, you know, but I'm definitely not like, yeah, he's the most influential person in my life. Does this make sense? Right? There's and, and the reason for that, because it's not that celebrities don't have influence, they do, but when you think about the influence that celebrities have, they 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 change often our behaviors. They will influence the way we dress, they'll influence the you know, sports we watch, perhaps the cars we drive, right? They they have influence from a consumption mindset in, in often in many superficial ways. But when I asked you the question, who's the most influential person in your life, you will intuitively be begin to discern down deeper and you start to ponder who is it that has actually shaped me and my understanding of who I am. 
right? So oftentimes when you think who's the most influential, it's like my mom or my dad or my sibling or my teacher or my coach, right? It's people that we actually had relationship with that actually God is and therefore influence. They, their fingerprints are on my understanding of who God is and therefore my understanding of who I am. Right? This is what we start thinking of kind of intu- intuitively when we start pondering who is the most influential. Right? And I try to bring this discrepancy because the influence that we are after as Christians, it's not necessarily the influence that the world's telling us we need to have. You need to have the biggest platforms. You need to be able to do this. You need to, have, you need to be a following. You need to be famous. Right? That's not what we're going after. What we are trying to influence as Christians is we're trying to actually influence people's belief systems. And we're trying to, people that are worshiping idols, we're trying to transform their understanding understanding of who God is. And Tozer says that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. So if we are going to influence people's beliefs about the sacred thing of who they believe God to be, that is actually the most intimate place within a human. It is, it is not, it's a vulnerable place to allow someone the influence of these deep things. And yet that is what we are trying to influence the world with. Does this make sense? So my premise in saying this is I will only allow someone, someone can only influence me here if I somehow trust them. And what begets trust is integrity. Right? There, there's, it's integrity. John Maxwell even says he does this, uh, this kind of, a routine sometimes when he speaks with people and he starts asking who's the most influential, why are they most influential, and he said it's like over 95% of the time what people will, will share about the, qual- the quality, the thing that makes someone the most influential is something associated to their character, right? Character actually impacts us more deeply than just about anything. And so my premise, my, my, my theory, my, uh, my thesis tonight is that when it comes to engaging culture, our character is much more vital. Our integrity is much more important than our gifting, our talent, our privilege, our status, our, our platform. Right? It is our integrity. So that is what I want uh, to look at the life of Daniel tonight and look at the integrity that he had cultivated and what that produced uh, in his life. So... Um, so Daniel uh, was a man of integrity. And before I move on, I just want to define uh, briefly what integrity is. And I'll define, it's living undivided, right? It is a, uh, there's, a, there's a purity, a singleness to who you are. And God is an integrous God. And it's actually woven into his very name. He, he told Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am. Right? I am who I am. Like, I am exactly who you see me to be. I don't change. I am who I am. And integrity, in the same way, I would say integrity, it's the manifestation. It's the external manifestation of who I am as a child of God. Right. So when I am authentically living in a way that there is no discrepancy between what I do and who I actually am, that is integrity, right? There's a singleness to it. There is, it's void of compromise. What you see is what you get. I am who I am. You know me, 
right? So this is integrity. And Daniel uh, demonstrates this integrity, and you can see it in the way in which he begins to engage with a Babylonian society, right? So he's a young man. They say he's handsome, attractive, smart, and he gets thrown into a very powerful place, which is the Babylonian, uh, you know, king's courts. And they, you know, I've talked about this. He tried to, uh, they tried to give him a new identity, Belteshazzar. They tried to have been sinful, immediately try to start changing his diet and in such a way that it would actually have been sinful for Daniel. So it's actually a deeper crisis than we would necessarily think of. Uh, they're trying to give him impure, undefiled food that for a Jew, that would have been blatantly sinful and defiling. Right, so all of a sudden, he's being told, you got a name that's associated to some idol. You have to eat this food that's probably been sacrificed to these idols. And he is in a very, um, you know, confrontive place, right? And Daniel, uh, as I spoke a few weeks, and I actually want to do a little segue here. What I'm going to talk about tonight when I get into the discipline, integrity, you need to know it in the context of the message a couple weeks ago talking about our identity, right? I'm going to talk about work. I'm going to talk about labor, but it is in the context of knowing who you are, right? We're not working to prove who we are. We are found and given an identity, and so we act from who we are, right? So I just want to say that a little bit, that I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, and so if I rub you the wrong way and you think I'm talking about works-based Christianity and striving, go back and listen to the message from a couple weeks ago. These are line by line building upon each other. So that's just my little segue there, right? So Daniel had this strong awareness of his identity. He was a Jew. He was a man of God. He was a prophet, right? And he had this makeup, he, this divine poem of who he was as a, as a man. And this knowing empowered him to live according to different principles then Babylon, without drawing a bunch of attention to himself, right? And I just want to, I actually just want to take a little bit of a, a detour for a second and just look at the strategy through which David or Daniel uh, engaged with Babylonian society. And keep in mind, we are engaging with the Babylonian society all the time, right? So he does not, like, say, quit calling me Belteshazzar. He does not say, how dare you offer me this food sacrifice to idols, you immoral people, Right? He simply begins to live according to who he is. Right, So Daniel was raised as a Jew. You don't eat this. You don't do this. Right, He did all these behaviors. But why we know that there's integrity is when he got out of a cycle, an environment that was applauding him for his Jewish belief system and behaviors. He gets into Babylon where all of a sudden he's got wine. He's got food. He's got all these things. There's probably women. There's probably all kinds of stuff. And he does not... He, he continues to do the same thing with no affirmation. Does this make sense? Right? I, I sometimes, like, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, but I, I've, I, my heart's hurt before being in Christian. I, I, I went to a Christian university, and in the Christian university, in the Christian bubble, everybody, the affirmation is about being Christian. Does that make sense? You get, like, better grades if you go to chapel. You get um, this. You, it's it's like kind of cool to be a Christian. Right? And I found that there was a lot of people that were very Christian in the Christian bubble. Then they got out, they got into Babylon, they got into the real world, and suddenly there was no more affirmations, no more pats on the back saying, great job, and they're not even Christians anymore. In fact, they're like out, I'm like, what happened to you? 
right? And the problem was their behavior while in this climate was not motivated from within. It was not from their identity. It was from, oh, I was, this was what I was getting my pats on the back for. There was actually an external motivation. Does this make sense? So Daniel shows, no, no, no. I actually was living from my identity and I had this fortitude, this strength. I am who I am. So even in Babylon, I will still be a Jew. I will still eat the same way. My name is Daniel. And he stays true to himself. Does this make sense? Right? So identity, we identity gives us this fortitude that I am who I am, and it does not matter if you're affirming me or if you're persecuting me. I simply am who I am. Does this make sense? Right? Sometimes I talk to, you know, I've, I've heard the kids, the high school kids have told me before, like, oh, you know, like, I go to the parties because I want to influence my friends. And I'm like, I've seen this go two ways. One way is if the kid has a knowing of who he is. My brother led all his friends to the Lord, never partied, everyone knew. He's not there to drink. He's there to preach the gospel to people. And they loved him, right? But I've seen a lot of kids without this knowing, then they get into the environment, it's like, oh, whoa, there's alcohol, right? Then all of a sudden, it's they're being more influenced. They're not the influencers. Does that make sense? So we need this fortitude of our identity, right? And Daniel had this fortitude within him, right? And uh, just one more little note that I think is interesting is that I want to just make mention of the strategy that Daniel employs, right? Our goal is to influence culture, but the problem I see and I've experienced, and I think just culturally speaking, is that Christians, for some reason, we've taken this mantle upon ourselves that we need to go and correct everybody's immorality. We need to tell them that your moral thinking is wrong. What you think about abortion is wrong. And I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, I, we have to be strong in our beliefs. And I think there are times and places where we are given platforms to speak our opinions. But it's not all the time. Right? And so Daniel comes into a situation that is wildly immoral, but he is not going telling him, you're doing it wrong, you heathens. What is wrong with you? Right? He knew he was in Babylon. He simply, I'm going to do who I am. I'm going to manifest myself as a man of God. I'm not going to try to correct them. I'm simply going to live life according to the morality and the principles that I know to be as righteous. Are you following me? Because our goal is not to influence people's behavior. Hey, stop doing these bad things. My goal is to influence people's beliefs. I actually want to transform the way they see God. And I promise you, when they see Jesus, your behavior will begin to change. Are you following me? So we've got to keep the goal in mind. There are, there, there's many times God is going to stick us right in the midst of the darkness. You don't have to tell them they're dark. You just have to be the light. You just have to be salt. You just have to be yourself. I'm not, I'm not operating so that you'll applaud me or think I'm right. I'm just being who I am because I am a man of God. Is that fair? All right, so uh, this, this fortitude... Right, this, uh, th this integrity that Daniel has, I would like to propose, actually comes from the discipline of Daniel's life. Daniel was a man of discipline. And integrity, it, it's, it's the fruit, it is the consequence, the result of discipline. Right? And another word for discipline, it's a great word. You know what it is? Work. <laughs> discipline is work. It's a lot of hard work, 
right? And, and a lot of times, I feel like there's this, there was this legalistic understanding of Christianity, and, and I believe a lot of people have swung into this other side of the paradigm where it's like, oh, I'm just receiving the love of God. It's free. I don't have to work for it. Like, it's just... I'm just soaking in it, which is also true, but I believe that God actually wants to bring an equilibrium back and actually redeem work, right? We almost look like work like you're saying a cuss word in some churches, like, I don't work in my relationship with God. It's like, no, no, you do, just like you work in a marriage, just like you work in a friendship. There's a lot of work involved in relationship, right? And work was not implemented after sin. It was given as a gift before sin. So I believe we need to redeem our understanding of work because work is a beautiful unless you've worked, right? On the other side of work is rest. You can't rest unless you've worked, it's this beautiful system, this rhythm of life that God has created. And it is so pertinent to our spirituality. Right? And Daniel had incredible discipline. And we, uh, we, we see this in, in chapter 6 and, and, and throughout the book of Daniel. He was a man of prayer. He had a discipline in his life that he was going to pray come hell or high water. He's going to pray three times a day. It was an expression of who he was. Right? And again, I just want to differentiate. Daniel is not doing this to prove who he is because he is an identified by Yahweh, because he's a worshiper, because he's intimate with God, I will pray. Does it make sense? We, what we do should be derived from who we are. Okay, so Daniel was a man of prayer. Three times a day he prayed. And because of his faithfulness, because of the consistency in doing it day after day after day, his, his discipline actually created a reputation amongst a heathen secular Babylon. And uh, this is the verse I just, I just want to read. Um, we're going to read chapter 6 uh, starting at, at verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Man, what I would do for the church to have that reputation. That, that, that when the culture magnified us, that's what they found. There is no way we're going to catch these people unless it is in regard to their relationship with God. And because Daniel was so committed, because he was so faithful, even though, right, he's not praying in Babylon to get, like, affirmation. He's not, like, praying three times a day because it's going to puff him up, make him feel real spiritual. No one cared that he was praying to Yahweh three times a day, right? It wasn't popular, right? He wasn't doing it to garner attention. He was so faithful in doing it, though, that the Babylonians, when they wanted to find something, or the Persians wanted to find something wrong with him, they had to find it in regard to his prayer life. And so they created a law because they knew the man's going to pray and he's not going to stop. Gosh, how amazing would it be that people knew even if it was going to cost you your life, you would not stop praying. 
Like, that is the discipline of this man. I read an article a number of years ago. Uh, it was uh, at, right after Ray Allen retired. Does anybody know who Ray Allen is? He's a, he's a basketball player, a Hall of Famer, and he's uh, known as one of the best three-point shooters of all time. And I read this article right after he retired. He was a three-time uh, champion, uh, holds the record for the most three-pointers ever made. And it was asking him, I think it was like Chase Bank, he, I think, of all places where I saw the article. And it was asking him, what are the keys to your success? And I remember the article was striking in its simplicity because he was like, there's no secret, there's no magic thing. He said, in my, in my understanding, what it comes down to, he said, what distinguishes the good players from the great ones, the, 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 the okay ones from the champions, he said, it comes down to doing the little things day after day after day. He said, it's not that cool, it's not that popular. He said, it's the little drills day after day after day. You perfect yourself in the little disciplines day after day after day. He said, that is the secret to my success. It was hard work and discipline. And as I read that, it struck me, you know, particularly what separates the good from the great is excellence, faithfulness, discipline, hard work in the little things day after day after day. And I believe that as Christians, we need an upgrade in our thinking as it pertains to greatness. We've almost acted as if it's like this, you know, heretical thing to say, I want to be a great Christian. When I think that is the most godly thing, that is the most appropriate thing that all of us should say. He emptied himself and gave everything with a desire that we would do the same in return. Right? Like Oswald Chambers, it's like the biggest, you know, little devotional that everybody ever read. I swear everybody reads it, right? My utmost for his highest. I think we need a plan as Christians for what does it look like for me to give my utmost for his highest. That with Paul, we can also labor for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? The reality is that in nothing in life, nothing, Arts, entertainment, music, athletics, communication, business, government. It does not matter what field of industry or subculture of society. No one drifts into greatness in anything. Nobody. You do not drift into greatness. Greatness, the people that step into greatness are those that did the work day after day after day. They labored themselves and gave everything to become who they were. And I don't know why we would think it's any different when it comes to a relationship with the holy high king of heaven. Who we like know, we always have something to learn. You know, it's like, if marriage is hard work, I can only imagine it should be a little harder when it comes to God. <laughs> you know, you can have, like, good seasons. You're like, I think we're good. God's like, I'm still holy. You're, you're not quite there yet. <laughs> All right, so we don't drift into greatness. We discipline ourselves. And I believe it's the little things, like Ray Allen, little things, day after day after day, the little routines of life. The little decisions that lead its step, step, step on the marathon of discipleship into the image of Jesus, right? We receive this identity in Christ, seeds planted inside. 
the manifestation, right, the, the end result that God's wanting from those seeds is that we are this fruitful garden. We are full of integrity. We express ourselves fully in every situation. I am who he says I am, right? But this middle ground, this testing ground is where discipline, it is discipline that moves us from point A to point B. Right? It is discipline that, that waters these seeds so that they can grow day after day after day as I'm in the dirt digging, planting, watering, sowing, pruning, dig, right? Day after day after day. It is the work that produces this garden bed of fruitfulness, right? Of integrity, of character. All right, so I want to make this really practical. Uh, I, I hear, I talk with people all the time. I love it. I love when people tell me, you know, the identity that God has given you, they're always so beautiful. One of the most vulnerable things I think you can do is look at another human being in the eye and say, this is who Jesus says I am. Right? You think it's vulnerable confessing your sin. I found it's much more vulnerable confessing who he says you are. I have the staff do this. I have, you know, in revival groups we've done this. And it is a beautiful and holy act. And it produces a humility in you. Uh, that's, uh, I've had, I've had, hard to find other places. Um, but I've had people tell me things such as, you know, I, I'm called to be generous. I have a gift of creating wealth and giving it away. Uh, I'm a creative. I'm an artist. I'm uh, one that brings inspiration. I'm a communicator. I'm an orator. I'm an author. I'm a leader. God calls me a worshiper. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm carrying a multi-generational legacy within me. I'm a friend of God. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a prophetic mouthpiece. I'm a man or woman of purity. I'm a, I'm a daughter or son of holiness. I am a, 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 a man of honor, right? It goes on and on and on. I hear these beautiful identity statements. And my question tonight is, what are the disciplines that you are implementing in your life that are actually cultivating those things, right? God calls me a leader. What discipline are you using? How are you cultivating that leadership gift? God calls you an artist. What are the disciplines that you're implementing around your creativity and your expression? God calls me an author. How are you stewarding that? Do you see what I'm saying? God calls you an, an intimate one, a worshiper. How are you stewarding that? Right? What, how, what are the disciplines that you are using day after day after day? that are actually going to lead to the, 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 create, right? the, the maturation, right? the growth, the, the development in these identity statements. Right? It's not a static, oh, I have this identity. No, I have this identity, but I want to become the greatest version of myself possible. Right? And greatness, I just want to say, is not found in comparison to one another. It is within the eyes of God that I gave everything to become who you called me to be. Right? And in this process of discipline, there is an inevitable crisis. There is an inevitable tension and resistance that we will all face. And that is between the will and the emotions. Right, And the reality is this is who I am. God calls me a father. God calls me an author. God calls me whatever. And this is what I will do. But the reality is we all know every day I face this tension but I don't feel like it. 
I don't, I don't feel like it right now. I don't feel inspired. I felt inspired at church when Jordan was preaching. I didn't feel inspired on Monday morning. I definitely didn't feel inspired on Tuesday afternoon after my boss railed me. I definitely didn't feel inspired on Friday. I wanted to go out. You know, I, I don't feel like it. Right? And the reality is this is a tension. This is a re- moment of resistance that I believe God divinely orchestrates in this middle ground between the, the, the reception of our identity and the manifestation of it. That God is creating tension and just like the athlete is working and breaking down its, their bodies with resistance. When we say, no, I don't care, I don't feel like it. I'm going to do this. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. I don't care if you're laughing. I don't care if you're applauding. I don't care if you're happy. I don't care if you, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Day after day after day after day, we begin to develop a fortitude within us. There, our inner man starts getting strengthened from the inside out, and the substance of that strength is called integrity. I am who I am. I am exactly who he says I am in every situation I face. I am a man without compromise. I am pure. I am single-minded. I am simply being myself in any situation I face. That's integrity. That is a powerful, powerful posture to live as a human being. Romans 8, it says, it's waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. It's the sons and daughters of I am that I am. Right? We are made to be as integrous as he is. That is the sanctification journey that we are on. That we can be just as true and pure in who we are as he is. That's what the blood of Jesus purchased for us. The ability to step back into that place. But it is work. It is effort. It is labor that gets us there. You don't drift to that place. Discipline. Work. Day after day after day after day. And this strength, this fortitude, this integrity is so important if we are to influence Babylon. Because when we are in a culture that does not see God the same that we do and does not live according to the same principles, we will face adversity. It's not if, it's when. Right? And Daniel faced adversity. Right? He, he came to the point that him being the integrous expression of who he was became illegal and threatened his life. And I believe that culture, as we are searching to engage with culture, we will all face this as Christians. And culture will always ask this. The temptation will be, just, just compromise your integrity just a little bit, and then you can keep influence. That's how you become influential. Just, just compromise a little bit on this area, and then you'll keep your platform. Right? Daniel, just, just compromise your prayer life, and then you're going you're gonna to be ahead of the, on, on top of the whole kingdom. That's how you keep your influence. Right? And I believe that, that it's really self-promotion if it comes down to it. And uh, the reality is that we're either going to do this God's way or we're not. Right? We're going to be integrous to who we are as these ones identified with an identity in Christ, or we are not. 
right? And I shared this last service, but, you know, writing a book, uh, you know, it's an interesting, um, everyone tells you, if you read any article, if I talk to the, the publishers, the only way that a book sells and is successful is if you promote it. It's if you pay someone to market it, if you have an agent go around and you do the book tour and you do all these things, that's the only way that the book will sell. And uh, it's very similar, actually, to what people told me when I started the church. The only way you'll start the church, you need to go. I literally got told, you need to go to these people, this people, this people. You need to ask them for money. You need to do this. Millennials will never be able to fund a church. You're crazy if you think they will. Dot, 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 dot. You need to promote it. Right? And I was being given the wisdom of the world. Right? And I'm being told, look, just, just compromise your integrity just a little bit. And that's how you'll get influence. Right? But the reality is that, that that's a farce, and it's actually asking you to trade. You'll get temporary influence, but you will miss and you'll forfeit the longevity and the deep fingerprint impacting influence that God reserves for the integrous. Because God doesn't want us to just influence for a wisp. He wants us to have the character that will invite the trust of human souls so that we can show them this is who our God is and influence the depths of them and transform their understanding of God and therefore find their identity in his face. Right, And we cannot forfeit that. And Daniel knew this. He's so faithful. And so he says, I am who I am, and this is what I do. This is what got me to this point, and I'm going to keep praying. Day after day, I don't care what it costs me. And they throw him in the lion's den. And we as Christians must be willing to do the same thing. We must be willing. Yes, I've been given this measure of influence. I've maybe been given this job. I've been given these things. But I will continue to be who I am, no matter if it's popular, no matter if it's unpopular. No matter if it means promotion, and no matter if it means persecution, I am who I am. And the beautiful thing is that as Daniel entrusted himself and let him and went to the lion's den, because of his integrity, God turned that into a launch plat of promotion. And he came out of that lion's den with more favor in Babylon than when he went into it. Integrity will not always get you applause but it will garner the trust of those who see it because it awakens this God-likeness within people. Everybody yearns to be integrous. And when people witness integrity, it commands respect. It, it, draws, it draws my allegiance. It draws my trust. It opens me, whether I'm aware of it or not, that I want to hear what you have to say. There's something about you that, that resonates with the depths of me that I want to imitate myself. And when we emerge in these places, which sometimes will only come through the lion's den, it is at that point we are absolutely primed to influence people with the message of the kingdom of God and begin to transform their understanding of God. And we see this Darius, this heathen king, start to praise the God of Daniel because there was something about that man he couldn't understand, but he knew his, his understanding of God changed in that moment. And that is what we are seeking as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. We do not promote ourselves. God is very good at promoting his people. 
but it's integrity that he promotes. It's not our gifting. It's not our ability to garner followers and attention and attract people. It's integrity. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And my prayer is that we will take this message to heart and that we will be known by the culture around us as the most integrous, hardworking, disciplined people they've ever been around. That we will just garner the allegiance and respect of people, not because they even agree with us, but because we've wooed them with the integrity of who we are. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than every double-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. And we stand before you as if we were naked. You see every human. You see every desire. You see us, God. And we ask that your word will penetrate into the depths of us and it will not return to you void tonight, God, but it will accomplish that for which you sent it, that a work of transformation, that a work work of sanctification that you will deposit within our inner man the strength and the grace we need to day by day God be excellent and faithful and laborious in all that we put ourselves to God that as we receive your love and receive your mercy that is new morning after morning we will then leave our time seeking you in prayer and spend ourselves working with all our strength and might God in order to become the people that you've called us to be and to influence the world in the way that you've called us to influence God. Make us an integrous people. I thank you, Lord. I believe that there are many people who will profess one day the person that most influenced my life is standing in this room right now. God, we are created to be the influencers. God, we are fine-tuned and fashioned to choose us and do whatever with the message of your kingdom. So God, here we are. Use us and do whatever it needs to be done within us, God, to make us vessels worthy of honorable use, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.